What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Guardians of the Future podcast. MLB Draft is hours away, not, you know, within a couple hours, but we're down to less than days to count the hours now. Um, when it comes to the MLB Draft, you want to take the best player available. You don't want to draft for need. But what I did here is I drafted for the need and the best player available. I got Willie Hood to come back on the Guardians of the Future podcast once again. My negotiating skills are getting really good these days. That's that's two podcasts in two weeks for you, Willie. Yeah, and I promised three, and then uh, my my agent negotiated a fourth, but uh, we still haven't negotiated compensation on that one. I'm I'm really pushing for that cheese on that. Uh, what was it? An egg McMuffin. I'm really going to see if I can find yeah, some. Yeah, sausage uh, egg McMuffin. I got to have some meat. Come on, man. Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on getting you cutting you that cheese. Cutting you you, you that can't cheese. be this pretty without protein in your life, Justin. That's true, especially the draft. You have to have a lot of protein. If you're a vegetarian and you're listening to this, I recommend you you figure out, I don't know, get some peanut butter in your system or something, because we got a lot to talk about. Soybeans. Um, soy, yeah, there you go. Some soybeans, some chickpeas. I'm not a, I'm not a consultant for, for dietitians, so I'm, I'm, I'm quickly running out of food funds there. Um, yeah, the draft is on Sunday. We're doing a draft. We're doing a podcast as close to that as possible. Um, mostly because our schedules didn't align early in the week, and it was also the July 4th holiday. But we figured it's better closer to the draft. So, Willie, you and our buddy Jared just did a quick mock. That came out today. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's uh, nextyearincleveland.substack.com. I will include the link in the show description. Um, the guy you took for the Guardians at 23, I'm, I'm all aboard. Like, I I don't know if he's attending the draft. They just had, had a list of guys that are attending the draft. I don't know if he's going to be there or not, but – um, I am ready to, I don't know how to fly a plane, but if I did, I would go down and I would fly to, where's wait, wait, where is that college at? Is that, North a, Carolina. I would Carolina fly to North Carolina. Carolina and I would fly this man straight to Arizona to good Winston, good. Salem, North Carolina, if I remember correctly, I almost said Raleigh Durham, that'll get me uh, injured. <laughs> if I, if I have to learn to fly a plane to get this guy from, from Raleigh or for Winston, Salem to Goodyear, Arizona, I will do it. You'll suffer, huh? I'll do it. We look the guardians. The guardians play baseball like they are a team that forgot to pay their energy bill. They have absolutely zero power. Um, they really need to diversify their minor league portfolio. Like, look, nothing against Colton Emerson. I hate to. Every time we talk about the draft, and and there's been a lot of mocks connecting them, and mostly it seems like mostly just where is a good landing spot for Colton Emerson. I, I don't want to disparage the kid. I'm sure he's a great kid, and he's going to be a nice player, but. At some point, the Guardians just don't need another 15 to 20 guy who might hit 15 to 20 home runs and play up the middle. And he's super young for his class. So there may be some more development there. At some point, there has to be a way to figure this thing out, to, to diversify things. And, and I'm not saying they have to go a different route, but how long do you wait before this thing works out? And you start thinking, OK, maybe we should try something different and try to find somebody that fits our mold, but also has different skills. And that guy could be Brock Wilkin. Yeah. I can't take credit for that pick, by the way, that was Jared's pick. So if it's credit, now, first of all, if it's credit, it should go to me. If it's blame, it should go to Jared. How's that? That's, that's fair. Yes. If, if the guardians do not take Brock Wilkin is definitely Jared's fault, but if they do, it's, it's you're the one that jinxed it though. You know, I mean, you're the I one did. that tweeted, I did. You're the one that tweeted about it, so you've already jinxed it. So we know it's not happening now, thanks to you, Justin. That's right. I ruined it already. No, no, Jer it's still Jared's fault. I don't care. That's right. It's always Jared's fault. Jer Jared gave me the show. idea. That's right. He refuses to come on here. He says he's a draft fan, and then he won't even come on the podcast. You know, so he goes on vacation for the draft every year. Who does that? If you really love the draft, you would. The draft is a vacation, right, Willie? Or as we find out, there's no such thing as vacations. There's only work that you are putting off. There, there's work, yes, work, work that you're putting <laughs> off until later. Yeah. And uh, why do it today when you can save it for tomorrow, right? <laughs> It'll always be there tomorrow. Yeah, or the ten things you were going to do the next day too. That's right. Uh, under you've talked about this multiple times, but under the old model, if the draft was in June, Brock Wilkin would be quote unquote young for the class, which obviously mm -hmm. is, is something Cleveland still values. Um, so he still fits that mold a little bit there. And, and, you know, I, last year in, in college baseball, Tennessee was kind of the flavor of the week. So I watched a lot of Tennessee this year. Wake Forest was the, 
the flavor of the week. So I watched a lot of Wake Forest. I think Wilkin can play third. My only concern here is 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 he passive? Like he walked more than he struck out. He increased his contact rates, but was he swinging less? Like I have a real problem with with drafting hitters who are patient rather than passive because I still think that's the thing in the Nolan Jones profile. Not that I'm against it because it's a, you, you, know, you don't need nine you don't need nine Stephen Kwan. Stephen Kwan's a great a nice player to have, but you don't need nine of those guys. You need you know guys that can do different things in your lineup and balance you out. And I think Wilkin is a guy that, that could be a nice tweener there where he, yeah, there's going to be some swing and miss to his game and maybe he is a passive hitter, but I don't know. Do you, do you think this is a guy where everything kind of is going to translate? Do you think he, you, in your opinion, do you think he could stay at third base? And I, I really also wonder, is he going to get to 23? It seems like one of these college bats is going to be there in their range. Just depends on who it is and what's their preference. Yeah, I think there's so many of these guys that are going to have similar grades. I was thinking to myself earlier today, um, is it possible for someone like uh, Colton Ladebetter, for instance, who I mocked to Cleveland before in my 20-round mock, um, just going with the premise that Cleveland typically goes under slot with their first pick, and, and that's what I did in that mock. Um, he's somebody that I wonder if they could potentially, if he could potentially slide to 58, because there's so many guys that are very similar this year. He doesn't have a, a long track record of performing at a high level. It's not that he didn't perform well while he was at Sanford, but one year in the SEC. And, yes, it was an impressive year. Um, I know Mason McCray, before he was hired by the Cubs, um, was all over him and, and really mm-hmm. promoted him. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, with a guy like that, I, I tend to think there's somebody that's going to slide there, whether that's Wilkin. I wouldn't be surprised if Wilkin is off of the board um, to, to somebody like the Blue Jays or if the Cardinals snag him at 21. Um, who knows what the Mariners are going to do with three picks in the first 30 and three between 22, I think it's 22, 29, and 30, where they pick at. Um they could have a lot of sway in the draft there too, not just with prep bats, but they could potentially move a college bat down the board by offering a higher bonus for them. Um, I do think a bat will fall. The question is, is, is that bat going to provide the value that Cleveland wants? And as I alluded to, with the depth and the quality of this draft, I know there's some rumors out there that Cleveland's going to try to try to get a, um, a player down the board um, a little bit and save a little bit of money there. I wouldn't, when you hear me say down the board, don't panic because it's probably not a huge savings if it's one at all or, or much of one at all if Cleveland really does go that route. Um, I suspect you could save a little bit of, bit of money off of a guy like Brock Wilkin, who's a, a college junior, albeit a younger one. Um, there's a lot of three year players there that I think you can pinch a little bit of money off of and push it down the board. You can always be creative with um, senior sign types later on, too. I'll, I'll throw out the name Cam Fisher, guy from Charlotte, power hitter that strikes out a lot, walks a lot, um, but he's a corner outfielder that might be really interesting for the club. You know, round three, round four is a senior type sign. Um, you know, Wilkins specifically, I think he can play third base. I've seen some say that they think he could play left field or right field. I don't know. Um, I can't say that I watched enough of him to say that I saw that lateral movement from him enough to feel confident that he could. Um, but I, one of the things I was doing was just about to look up how many extra base hits he actually had this season. Cause you, you pop or you kind of pose the question, um, is he passive or is he a power hitter? And if you go back and you look at his prior two seasons, he actually struck out more than he walked. So if he has transitioned into something a little bit different this year, um, which is a power hitter because he did hit 31 home runs. That's a lot of power. I think there were just a handful of guys that exceeded 30 home runs this year. He was one of the few. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's a a power hitter or, or if it's just passivity, but I suspect that maybe he's somewhere in between there. Um, he's somebody that I think that'll probably hit for an average major league line, but somebody that could exceed 30 home runs to me and just be a really good offensive-oriented, solid third baseman. 
if you have to, as he ages, gets slower. Uh, he does have a pretty good size frame. You can always kick him over to first base as a right, right bat. Um, but I think he can play third. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure to play first base as a right, right bat. And and people might say, oh, you draft a third base. What are you going to do with Jose Ramirez? You know, and and that's the thing. You know, we joked about the top of the podcast is best player available. And I think some people misunderstand that too because I heard a lot of questions yesterday too, even with. Uh, the Guardians uh, VP of scouting to just every, everybody for the most part is taking best player available. Now there are things that tie into this, like signability and, and things like that. You know, if you, especially if a guy is going to college and um, you're managing your bonus, like you mentioned Cam Fisher from Charlotte, like that's, a, that's, he's not a senior, but I, I have a hard time believing he's going to go back to school unless he feels like he's transferring. But I've also heard that Charlotte is a very good program in terms of, pro hitting development. That's where Nate Furman's from. And it's a program that, that does a lot of things right to get guys ready for the pro level, which, you know, you don't always see at colleges too. A lot of times, like how many years did we talk about what was it, Stanford and uh, even Vanderbilt? Like there are some places where they don't develop you for the pro game. They develop you to win in college and they don't care if it doesn't help you at the pro game. Charlotte is, it feels like an opposite of that. I've, we've heard a couple of things about that, that that they, they do some good things there. So you mentioned like, so if you have a Cam Fisher in round four, you know, you could save some money there or um, I'm trying to think of who are some other senior signs that probably could, could save them money. You get my point. Like you, if you're saving money down the board, that also helps you depend on who you're going to pick higher in the draft. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you're just going off your board and everybody's board is just different. Uh, looking at Wilkins. So he had 47 extra base sets this year in, 200 and or I'm sorry, 320 play appearances. He did walk more than he struck out. The thing that gives me pause here is that, okay, the, the ballpark in, in Winston-Salem, that's a very hitter friendly park. Now, obviously it's a tough conference. They, they, there's a lot of good play, uh, teams in that conference. Uh, didn't have a great sophomore season. And we know, I think you've pointed this out multiple times. The guardians look very heavily at sophomore seasons in college, mm -hmm. because that is often the last time you're playing where you are younger than the competition. So if you can play better against older competition as your so as a sophomore, you have a better chance of succeeding later and they're willing to overlook poor junior seasons. Well, Wilkin didn't have a poor junior season. He had a 964 OPS, but he struck out a lot. I'm sorry, sophomore. And he didn't hit for a high average. There was 23 homers. And then for whatever reason, his second go around in the Cape wasn't all that strong. 781 OPS, which isn't terrible, but his first year in the Cape, uh, and 158 plate appearances, way better. So I'm just very in between on these things uh, statistically because the Guardians are a model-friendly team. They do take – these are all things built into their model, right? Kate performance and age and sophomore year and, and um, playing its older competition. So all these things that we just talked about here are kind of a mixed bag with Wilkin in, in some respects. But I'm very interested at 23. I'm, I'm fine with that because – at least he's a guy who can for some power and you're expecting, I don't know, an average strikeout rate, a, a slightly, when I say above average, I mean, I should say below average strikeout rate. You know, he's striking out, you know, more than, than Josh Bell, but not, you know, to the level of Bradley Zimmer, I guess is my point. If he's running a 25 rate and walking 12% of the time, are you okay with that? Yeah. I, I as long I, I, there are some guys in pro ball that can handle 30%, right? Like, it really depends on your output. Like you're not going to get a lot of Joey Gallows where you get a 35% strikeout rate and you're productive. Like there are guys like that, but they're not a lot. And that is another good point to bring up too with the guardians is they love to take these unicorn type players. Like, you know, they took a chance on, on Brady Aiken, I guess that one year, but like Tristan McKenzie, his body type, kind of a unicorn, Daniel Espino, kind of a unicorn. Like they love to take these guys that are, you know, the exception. You know, yeah. You know who the unicorn is in this draft. We all do. Don't do it. He's six foot seven. Are you talking about Bryce Eldridge? Yes, that's the unicorn right there. I I feel like he's not going to get to twenty three, and that's a good thing. Look, I I'm going to say this. I am very that's averse to Guardians. I don't I don't know. I don't know if I should say this, but I don't know if I trust Cleveland's development with him. Um. Uh, well, how many power hitters has Cleveland produced? Currently, uh, 
I mean, the last power hitter they they produced. And, and a guy own. that's six foot seven, he's got a lot of zone to cover. Um, you know, that's a unicorn right there. Yeah, he could be a two way player. I mean, do you count Carlos Santana as a power hitter? I don't know. He was the last guy. I mean, the last guy to hit 25 home runs or more in the outfield for the Guardians slash Indians was Grady Sizemore. Like, it's been a long time since one of their outfielders hit 25 or more homers. They've It's just been a long time. It's very strange. Uh, I don't really consider Grady Sizemore a power hitter, but he was a good player. Um, everybody else has been. I mean, Jose Ramirez is a, is a hitter with power. But again, Jose Ramirez is a unicorn. That's my point. Like, you, you can't. I want to ask this to the Guardians after their after their first round on Sunday night is how do you balance like taking best player available versus taking guys that you know you can develop? Like, okay, there's zero reason for the Guardians to take a I shouldn't say zero because if someone's there, you take them, but the Guardians don't have to necessarily take a college arm in the first round because they are able to find guys that they can develop in rounds three, four, five, six, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you're, you, more likely, you're more more likely to get a high upside arm the higher you select. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that, I mean, the risk is bigger, but also the reward is bigger. But how do, you balance, how do you balance best player available versus, okay, like you're, you're talking about you don't trust their development with a guy like Bryce Eldridge, who is a fun talent, but do you, do you have to take a guy that you feel like you can develop? Like you should always have confidence in your, in your farm team in your development group, you're going to be able to develop whoever you draft. But obviously you have types like the guardians have a type. They have Mm -hmm. guys who throw 92, 93 in college and have great control. And all of a sudden they're throwing 95, 96. And, you know, you've got your Steven Kwan's and your Tyler Freeman's and then that kind of thing. Like those are the guys they are good at pushing to the majors versus a guy like Bryce Eldridge, where he might be the best player available at 23. I don't know. I'm not sure, but this is an example, but it's not a guy they've succeeded developing. So how do you, how do you balance what you, tr- what you know how to develop, what you're good at versus best player available? Like, it's just a very, I, I wonder if, there, if that's a question, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think um, the best player available is sort of a myth in that yeah. it's the best player available for the team for that pick. It's not necessarily the highest rated player on the board, because sometimes the highest rated player on the board may have a red flag for injury or off field concerns, or you know. may have swing and miss issues. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like, why do some guys get traded sometimes? It's because there's red flags we don't often know about um, things that are, that have gone on, even with coaching staff or off field stuff, there may have been, words exchanged between a player and a coach that, you know what, the organization feels like, okay, you're not a good fit here anymore. You're not willing to develop um, as we see fit. And and that's my concern, not really throwing Cleveland under the bus by bringing out Eldridge there, but they just have not produced guys like that. I want to see how Chase Talauder develops, you know, I mean, he's a power hitter. Of course he's got that funky swing, you know, I mean, but it's working in low A, right now or hi i guess i should say yeah um yeah, he's looked better lately i saw him yes for a couple of games and he i wasn't like super impressed but i also didn't want to be like oh i saw him take six at bats and he stunk so it's over like i especially with the the uh the layoff for him as well but he's improved lately so that's good if he starts punishing high a we, we should start feeling good about that yes um and he I, he's a bit of a unicorn in an interesting case and I can't remember now because, you know, everything kind of scrambles together with life these days. Did we talk about Nolan Chennault, our last podcast at all? Because a little bit. Yeah. All right. Let's let's dive a little more into that, because that's a guy that some people are connecting to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And I know you like him a little bit for Cleveland. I've, I've watched a lot of video on him. I've looked up some some, you know, some stats as well. And I've done a little bit of a dive. Chennault is a lot like Delauder, right? He's not. He's a non-power, non-power five guy who has absolutely crushed his level that he's at at the mm-hmm. as a conference USA. I think that's in there. He's from Florida Atlantic. Yeah, sounds right um, to me. Yeah, walks more than he strikes out. I mean, seventy-one walks to fourteen strikeouts—that is absurd. And 
I've constantly come on here and talked about how you can't even project how guys are going to move from low A to high A. Like, look at Nate Furman. I think Nate Furman's going to be fine, first of all, and I like Nate. But, like, he was walking a 20% clip in, in low A because the pitching down there is just not developed. You get it's, it's easy to draw a walk there. I shouldn't say easy, but it's easy for guys who are Nate Furman to draw a walk there because you have that skill set. I'm not saying I could do it, but um, I could probably get hit by a pitch if I wanted to, and that'd be that in my career. Um, but like, I'm glad you brought that out, Justin, because that's one of the skill sets Sean all possesses that yes, nobody yes. seems to notice or or pick out. I I picked that out of maybe a month or two ago about him though, as he has that what I call the Brandon Geyer skill set. He finds a way to get on base. He gets hit. Somebody else uh, I was talking to mentioned Anthony Rizzo with him is a guy that just got on base and got hit a lot. I think Sean Sean can have that type of career as a first baseman. Um, where he and I'm not saying a parallel to to Rizzo, but a guy who can get on base, who can get hit, who can offer some power, maybe not really excite, but might be an all star a couple of times too. So, all right, so you heard it. I'm going to put it in the description the title of the episode. Willie Hood predicts Nolan Shawnell is Anthony Rizzo. He is a future all star. The Guardians should not pass on him. Um, no, but I've seen people too saying like, okay, so like the Cape thing matters. And I wonder like how much it matters because I looked through some data on the Cape too. And it's like, there are a lot of good players, a lot of guys who played very well on the Cape that were hyped prospects that absolutely flamed out in pro ball. So for, uh, for guys to really crush the Cape and then flame out in pro ball, because the attrition rate is just high. It's just how the MLB draft works and it's hard. How do you have a guy who was not good on the Cape? Like there's, there's very, there's, there's even more examples of guys who are terrible on the Cape that never made it in pro ball. What if there's something, what if there's something there, Justin, that we don't know about? What if he was dealing with, uh, he gets hit by a pitch a lot. Let's say he had a sore wrist and was dealing with that the entire time he was on the Cape. Um, I don't know. You know, sometimes there's reasons behind things like that, that we don't know about. Um, yeah, there is the human element for sure. I mean, the other thing I looked at too, though, was like, I know some people were like, okay, well, he did well against Florida this year in conference mm-hmm. and uh, non-conference, but it was a midweek game. He didn't face Waldrop. He didn't face Brandon Sprout, who's a future reliever, by the way, um, as well. He's going to hang up the other side of the computer here. Uh, he didn't, yeah, he didn't he face. just lost that fourth <laughs> Podcast, Justin. Just lost it. My negotiating skills got worse. Uh, Um, Boom, just like that. Out of here, man. He didn't face any of the the Florida's elite arms. So, like, there's that. Uh, I I have questions, too. Like, if you've seen, like, anybody who's listening, I know you've seen a swing, but it's very – it's built for for power and it's built for fly balls. Is he going to get beat at the top of the zone? Like, there's just a lot of questions there that I I feel uncomfortable with at 23. Like – I'm okay with this team taking a gamble because I feel like they, I don't want to say they play it safe at, at their picks, but because they haven't played it safe because Aiken and Espino and um, who else have they picked at, at that? Uh, I don't want to say Zimmer wasn't a risk, but they've taken risks in the first round for sure that have not panned out. And I'm okay with them doing that here, especially with the hitter because they haven't done that in so long because we've gotten the, you know, the Carson Tuckers, the Bradley Zimmers, the Tyler Naquins that are not really risky. They're just very, basic types. Bo Naylor was kind of a, I don't want to say Bo Naylor was Bo a, Naylor. of risk because he had a lot of uh, hype in high school, but um, I'm okay with them taking a risk if they, if they feel very strongly about it. I just, again, this goes back to the conversation of this is not a type they have developed well. And how, how do you approach taking a player that you haven't developed well in the past? You know something? This sticks out to me from a question that I asked Scott Barnsby, and it was about uh, um, it wasn't last year, but the 2021 draft when when the draft was occurring uh, in between day two and three, I mentioned in the questions I, I asked Scott Barnsby about them drafting a lot of over the top arms. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is this a, is this a specific trait that you all are looking for? I think that's how I asked it or, or something like that, to that effect. And he said that we feel comfortable developing, you know, whatever guys that we select essentially. And um, I think that's probably the answer the organization would give 
in terms of developing hitters too, is we feel like we could develop these guys, regardless if this guy is a power hitter who likes to chase outside of the zone. Of course, you'd want to teach him some discipline. Um, a guy that's passive, you're going to want to, you're going to want them to tap into their power. Nolan Jones was, that was one of the things with him was he passive. We've seen a little bit of his power this season, you know, um, you brought up the question with Brock Wilkin. Is he going to be passive? I, I think he's running an actual, out of all of his hits now, I think it's a roughly about a 65% extra base hit production, which would put him in that um, double plus raw power category for me. When a guy is making that sort of contact and everything that he's hitting is becoming an extra base hit. Um that tells me if so long as he's making contact, you know what? I don't care if he's passive and getting on base. If he's making if he's making it count when he does, you know, with potentially double plus raw power from a guy like Wilkin. Um, you mentioned best player available in the draft, and of course, I put out a poll this morning on Twitter, and it's got almost a thousand views. And I don't know that it, that many people have voted on it. No, about 150 people have voted on it. And 35% of people think that they should draft a pit, I'm sorry, a bat, while 5% say a pitcher. And of course, 60% are saying best player available. I'm a little surprised by the notion that people are saying draft a bat. I know what's going on with the major league team. Very well aware of that. You know, I do follow them, but the solution for the major league problem is not a guy in the draft class. Right. It's not going to be because it's not an immediate impact. If Cleveland needs to bring in some impact bats, that should come through trades. You're more than likely to get a major league player. You're more than likely to get a guy who's advanced through the minors already. Somebody that's potentially in AAA and ready for the call up. Um, you don't have to worry about the de the development of them. You can get a, a near finished product or a finished product or even a veteran guy through trade. That's the route I would go after bats. Utilize the draft heavily for pitchers because, you know, as I pointed out, the international class is the entire pool is almost literally spent, probably 95% of their pool is spent on hitters, on young hitters, on young shortstops. And of course, I've said recently, hey, they need to rethink how they're doing this, tap into the international market utilize specifically the pacific rim where you can get older more developed guys you have a better feel for what they are uh, just like the player that st louis signed earlier this week there's a guy who's already 21 years old he's a college arm you've seen him in um mahoning valley in the mlb draft league a unique opportunity to add a potential maybe he's a mid-round draft pick if he's actually available in the draft i say mid-round i mean like a third or a fourth round draft pick but there's opportunities there that they need to explore that they're not exploiting to me. My opinion, um, going back to the best player available conversation, and when people say bat, I've had multiple people say to me, they need to get slugging. They need to get power hitters. What do you do if the best available player on your board is Enrique Bradfield or Dylan head well if i the guardian again the guardians no matter who they draft like you said they will feel confident they can develop whoever they take um there are a lot of people who think that enrique bradfield is in need of a swing change to impact the ball at the major league level uh -huh. i think there's a lot of unfair comps out there on him uh the speed no, like, it's not I, be Kenny Lofton, as much as i like kenny lofton he's not gonna be kenny lofton he, he might, might be, be Anthony Rizzo, though. Yeah, might be Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, Enrique Bradfield, a uh, gold glove center fielder who hits like Anthony Rizzo. That's a Hall of Famer. Um, I mean, like, I think you're hoping for a Billy Hamilton, right? That's that's probably the more accurate comparison. And he, he was good for quite a few years. But, uh, or, heck, you might might be getting a mile straw out of him. Like, he he's due for a big swing change. That, that's the popular opinion on him. I don't know. I didn't see enough of. Enrique Bradfield. I'm, I mean, personally, I'm out on Bradfield. I know you love him a little more than I do. I just don't see him being a, a 
a type of player the Guardians have done. And and Vanderbilt, too. And I, I know – let's be careful of this, too, because I'm very guilty of this. Scouting. You have to scout the player, not the jersey. That's the saying, right? I yes. think Jared's brought that up. Sometimes Jared has good points, I suppose. But uh, usually he's at fault for everything. Um, Absolutely. Every time, all the time. Vanderbilt players in general scare the heck out of me. Like, who who is the best pitcher in the major leagues from Vanderbilt right now? Like, Walker Bueller is on the IL. David Price is, is out of out of baseball. A lot of these guys, like Jared Schuster, just come up this year. And then hitters, what, you have Dansby Swanson and who else? Like, And Swanson is, is an, a league average hitter at best. I know he's a great shortstop, and that makes him a good pick because if you get a, a gold glove shortstop who is a league average hitter, that's a lot of value. But, like, I just don't – I don't know. Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what Bradfield is. Maybe he's a league average hitter, and he's a gold glover in center, and he steals 50 bases. That's That's a valuable pick. But I just have questions about if he does need a swing change, if the Guardians are the right team to do it. And Vanderbilt just doesn't have a strong track record of, of getting guys in position to be pro players. Somebody comped him specifically to Estuary Ruiz uh, from Oakland. And I think that's the sort of guy who's going to have to exploit his speed. He's going to po- offer – potentially plus defense if Cleveland or whoever it is that drafts him. But he's a guy that I could see sliding to 23. And, you know, in recent mocks, Bradfield's been a guy that's been mentioned on the periphery, not specifically the pick in the mock, but a guy that was mentioned on the periphery of, hey, this is a guy that Cleveland really likes or or is exploring or whatever, you know, whatever they said. Falling a little, yeah. Um, yeah. The Dylan Head thing to me too, also, and like cold weather bats are always a risk. I know there's the upside there, but uh, and again, I scout the player, not the jersey. But like they did a very this does this sound like Quentin Holmes part two to you at all? Like Dylan Head? No, uh, I'll tell you why because he has a better bat, better contact skills. Um, Holmes had the elite speed. Who was young for the class? Head is, I think, six months older than Holmes was. Okay. Um, I think you're getting a better arm with head. I think head is actually legitimate first round. Um, whereas Holmes was a comp B or a second round pick. If I remember, they didn't, correctly. Have, they didn't have a first round pick because the Edwin signing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that, that signing was a little bit deceptive in, in that, you know, he was a player that was already a little bit further down the board. Um, I still question that one. One of the guys when, when they went athlete over, over kind of what they do now, you usually see guys with a 55 bad, you know, the above average bat, above average contact skills, above average zone awareness um, in terms of what they go after in recent drafts. Um, that was before Scott Barnsby's time now. I believe this is Barnsby's fourth draft now uh, that we have coming up. 19, was, 20, 21, 22, 23, so fifth. Yes, there we go. The 19 draft, yeah. 2019, he because he was in charge of the class of uh, Daniel Espino. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that a little bit. I mean, and I'm not averse to cold weather bats. I mean, Nolan Jones is a cold weather bat, and that, but that was also uh, a different director at the time too, and they have since moved on from him and Will Benson, who were, you know, guys who were power guys you're trying to teach to hit. And I'm I'm perfectly okay taking a guy that has high contact rates. I mean, the guardians VP of scouting did a, did an interview session yesterday. I was listening back to it and, you know, was talking about trying to find more power and teach more power. And I, I definitely appreciate the theory. And I understand like it's, it's easier to teach a guy who can make contact to hit for more power because you can't help a guy make more contact. It is hard. Um, some te- some clubs can do it. The guardians are just not one of them. That's what they need to figure out for sure. Um, I just think it's it's at some point, and they, they were talking about less about contact rate than, and more about barrel rate. But they're having a hard time getting guys to find the barrel too. Like mm-hmm. they just don't they don't have guys like that. And then sometimes those are things you can't teach. I don't know. There's a lot of questions about hitting this organization that I wish I we had all the time for. Um, let me let me throw out some names here. Actually, why don't you give me a couple more first round names you like? Like I give me. I've got a bunch of college, a couple bunch of bats I like. I, I want to see them go bat in the first round. I, you know, I'm 100% against prep arms in the first round because they've just done a very poor job with that. And, and the risk is so high, not even them specifically, but the attrition rate of high school pitchers drafted in the first round is bad. And 
especially left-handers. There's really no lefties in this draft outside of what uh, Whitman and uh, who's the other lefty in the first round? Oh, Thomas White? Yeah, that's only two lefties, and I, I don't want Thomas White. I think they should stick it with, stay away from prep arms in the first round. Um, so I, I want to see him go bat. So bat-wise, who are some other names at 23 you feel good about? Because I'll say this. Somebody had a mock today. It was Fangraph's mock, and I, I don't know any anymore how connected Fangraph's is draft wise. But mm-hmm. it had Matt Shaw. Before. It had Matt Shaw getting the twenty two, and I was like, if he can get the twenty two, maybe he gets twenty three. To me, Matt Shaw is the pipe dream in this draft because he fits everything they're looking for, and he um, has all those traits plus the power. I, I, I don't think he gets there, but that's my one kind of. I think. I think for me. The top pick on my board at 23, if he's still there, is Matt Shaw. After that, I, I kind of go down from there. But what are what are some of the bats that you like at 23 for them? Well, a couple of guys would have to slot. I do like Matt Shaw. Um, I've essentially just scratched him off of my list because I don't believe he's going to be there, kind of like Kyle right. Till. So. Not happening, so don't even waste your time on him. Um, that's kind of where my mentality is with him. Um, even Tommy Troy, I think Cleveland would love um, – I don't think he gets there. Maybe, but I don't think he gets there. I've already brought up Bradfield. Um, Tommy Troy uh, fell in, in the Fangraphs mock, by the way. He was below 23. And I think if he's there at 23, the Guardians would be interested. But yeah, I, that was, he's, a guy, that. he's a guy, he, I think scouting sources put a 50 on the hit tool. Um, I think he's a guy that will hit for average, but it plays up because of his zone awareness. He's a guy that's going to get a lot of walks. He's not going to strike out a ton. Somebody that can play second base, third base, has played some shortstop. He doesn't have any outstanding tool, but he is a guy that everything is a five or above, essentially. Um, And I think because of that, it plays up. I I think he'll be a solid, potentially average major league player. Um, Those are the type of guys, you know, maybe he becomes like a Jeff McNeil or whatever. Um, And I'm not giving that as a straight comp, but Jeff McNeil is (laughs) Jeff McNeil is a guy that has some versatility that's bounced around the infield, played second base, third base. I don't think Troy could play the outfield, um, or he hasn't, to my knowledge, anyways. But, you know, somebody that might hit for a pretty good average and has a little bit of juice in the bat, but not going to really hit 25, 30 home runs either, though. Um, and might steal, might steal 15. I don't think he's going to get to 20 uh, stolen bases, but he might steal 15, 18 or something like that, just because of his instincts. Um, let me see outside of Troy. Uh, oh, there's one guy we haven't talked about and I've tossed this guy into the ring, so to speak as what if, and, and it's not a player that's been associated with Cleveland. Um, but it's Johanny Morales from Miami. I, I tend to like him. It's a tall frame, six, four around 200 pounds, something like that. He was a shortstop move over to, third base, but he hit 400 this year at Miami. So it's not like he was in the same conference as Nolan Schoenel. Um, And I'm not trying to just Schoenel saying that, but he was facing some pretty solid competition in the ACC. Um, you know, just somebody that he is kind of on the periphery of what Cleveland goes for in the draft. I think the strike rate's a little bit high for them. But you're also talking about a guy that's making a whole lot of contact for, for him to be able to hit over 400, too. Um, and, and his walk rate, I think, was around 12%. I think his strikeout rate was about 19 and a half. I don't think we've seen Cleveland draft anybody above 18% on their strikeout rate. Uh, and that's just off of the top of my head. But I, I wonder, you know, a guy like that, that, like I said, he hit over 400 in the ACC. That's a pretty impressive profile to me. Maybe you can get him. 500k under slot um is that something that they would go after looking for a little bit more power you know um i'm gonna say probably not you know the answer is probably i don't know somebody we haven't even talked about to be honest with you yeah yeah i i I don't know if i i mean i guess they're like no one was really talking about carson tucker in 2020 but i I also want to say too that 2020 was a very strange year. I, I don't feel like we can take a whole lot away from that draft because, um, and, and Jeff, you know, Jeff on Lockdown Guardians the other day was telling me too, like, why are there so many good college bats available in this draft? It's because all these guys in 2020 didn't get drafted because it was a five-round draft and they went to college. 
Uh, so that's a lot, a lot of guys there. Uh, Morales, strong sophomore season at Miami. I mean, he had an OPS over a thousand at 329. Struck out about twice as much as he walked, but he only struck out about once a game, which that's pretty fine. The only thing, and I don't even know how much you can read into this, Cape wise, he was on the Cape at age 19, which is a hard age to be on the Cape, and he only played 17 games, but he was pretty bad other than walking. So um, I don't know how much you can really put into that. I think the I'd thing that's hard. Year old on the Cape, you know, that's a, that's a lot to ask for a, a 19 year old. It is. Most, most teenagers on the Cape get dominated. They get rolled over. So. And if you dominate while you're on the Cape, you're not falling the 23. If you're 19 years old and you have a you have a great Cape season, at 19, you're probably not getting to 23. You're Wasn't that here. Cam Collier last year? Yeah, Cam. Yeah, Cam Collier, and, and that's an interesting thing to talk about too. Because look, the Guardians probably won't do it because they don't do it. They they do spend to their and you've pointed this out multiple times. They always spend the full allotment on their on their draft. They go over sometimes. They went over last year when they did the thing with Jacob Zibin and a couple guys. Within five dollars of uh, within five dollars of draft pick penalty. Right. They they will spend right to that limit. Right. Um, what they won't do though is they won't spend over slot in the first round. They are they are spread the wealth. They like to be able to buy guys out. So there's no buying it. There's no, there's no history of them buying a Cam Collier down to their pick. So I feel like that's going to be hard for them to do if there was somebody like that. And there seems to be this, this, this notion about also saving money in the first round. And I guess my question is like, if you're, if you're going to go under slot in the first round, I want to know who the money, who the savings is going to. Cause last year you had Zibin, but I feel like everybody outside the Guardians, that was out of left field. I don't know if anybody saw that coming, truthfully. Um, so that, there's your – actually, I guess if you want to be technical, that's your buying down, right? Like, did they just expect Zibin to not be there? And they were like, well, he got to the 10th round, and we said if he got there, we'd give him X amount of dollars. Like, I guarantee that is something they talked to him about. There's no way that he got to the 10th round and they committed a million dollars to him without talking to him pre-draft about, hey, this is what we think. Um I wonder if they didn't expect them to be there, but I guess that's your example of buying a guy down. Right. But they, but buying a guy down also is, Hey, tell these other teams we're offering you this amount of bonus. Otherwise you're going to college. Um, that wasn't the case with Zibin. That was the case with Collier. So that's a, a different scenario, I guess. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at it a little bit differently because they had the opportunity to kind of let him slide down the board, a prep arm that might have been asking more than people were more comfortable giving him because he was so young. And you've often seen guys go a million, a million, two, a million, five, uh, particularly from the Angels these last few years. They've drafted prep pitchers in the 11th round, which is day three, the very first round of day three. So what happens is they've either floated some guys down or there's some prep guys who have a high number that they really like. And they made some phone calls between day two and day three and popped them on day three with, hey, we have a million dollars left, or we've got a million two left. Will you sign for 1.3 million? Will you sign for 1.5? You've been saying you want $2 million, but we have 1.3 plus college money we can give you too, which doesn't count against it. Um, right. That's and a 10th round. No one else has taken you. Yeah. yeah, that's a creative way to do that. And I suspect Cleveland was on the phone with Zibin and, and saying, hey, we've got X amount of money. Will you sign for that? Here you are. To me, Cleveland had headed a team like the Angels off at the pass by doing it in the 10th round. I think it was a really a, a brilliant move on their half. Let's hope it plays out with them. Of course, he's got the Tommy John surgery now and, you know, the a longer road ahead of him, which brings out we've had four of the arms, four or five arms from this last draft class are injured, even more need to continue to load up on arms. As I said, they're not getting talented arms out of the international market. The only arms that they're coming into this system college. with, yes, are college arms. There's some prep arms coming in um, or guys that they're acquiring, as Steve Hajar, you know, um, who has a little bit of a resume. You know, they, they traded for Chris Valamont, a fifth round pick from the Marlins several years ago today. And he's, he's going to eat some innings and provide some depth. Um, 
or or there's guys like you know J- the JUCO guys. They did they did dip into the JUCO market a little yeah. more last year than they have previously with Magnus Ellerts, Javier Santos, Tejada. Um, uh, Tejada was a high school guy still. It was, oh, right. was uh, Gio Rivera is who you're thinking Rivera, of. That's right. Yeah. yeah, from Walter State, um, the big body uh, starter reliever, kind of a swing man in college. He was dominant as a starter, but you know, five innings and blowing people away at 98 miles an hour. But that's that's those are guys they can get into the lower levels of the minors too to, to backfill innings there and have some upside left there. Okay, so we we kind of. Have been gone astray here. Uh, I'm just going to throw out some names here, and, and I'm, I'm going to get your reaction because you know the players better than I do. This is just my – this is who I do like. This is who I don't like. So an interest in moving things along here. So, we, you know, Matt Shaw, Pipe Dream. Um, Chase Davis, to me, I could live with that pick, but I don't love it. Braden Taylor, I think we talked about last week a little bit. You know, he could be a Lonnie Chisholm type. I'd be okay with that. I wouldn't love it. Um I saw one mock that had Jacob Wilson falling to fall into them. That's the yeah. first time I've seen him get that far. And I got to be honest with you, Jacob Wilson would just be so redundant in the system. I'm not a big fan there. I know he has a lot of the traits they love. So if he's there, it's bad competition um, again, but it's got a, a ball player for a dad. I think to me, that's all the college bats, right? Like Colton led better at 23, I suppose. Um, I wouldn't be against either. I, I threw out Travis Honeyman to you at 23, but you seem to be against that. Yeah. That would be a money saver pick. Again, okay, so before – all right, you were talking about Zibin too, and I forgot to ask you this. So who who is this year's Jacob Zibin? Is there a Jacob Zibin here? Who is the – because they got – Jack Lepich went to that academy in high school. Zibin went to that academy. Oh, the TX. Oh, that's a that's a good point. I don't know. I haven't seen any big names pop up out of uh, – it's TXNL Academy in Florida – specifically yeah. what you're mentioning. If I had to target one prep arm that I think Cleveland would have a lot of interest in, it's Jake Brown from Sulphur High School in Louisiana. Uh, I think he's 6'3", 190, played center field and pitched. He's a left-hander, has the low uh, three-quarter slot, so you got the low approach angle, a nice, I think, a potential above-average slider. Um, low 90s, I think he's up to 94. Um, I think with his athleticism, if he gets a little bit stronger, adds a little more weight and strength to that frame, you, you got a guy that might be touching 95, 96 in a few years. Um, of course, he's an LSU commit, and that's not an easy get. So you're probably looking at a guy at about a million and a quarter or a million five, probably. I know rankings have him, I think, anywhere from 60 to like 120 or something like that. Um, he's a potential second round prep arm to me. I mean, in terms of value and how I look at him. But remember, I looked at Zibin a little bit differently than um, other players last year. I had Zibin as a second-round value, and I had uh, Jackson Humphreys a little bit higher than BA and MLB.com. I had uh, Jackson Humphreys in that third-round value. Um, Really, I think there's a lot of depth in the prep arms between rounds two and four. Um, Outside of the top 150, I'm always against – prep players outside of that margin, if you, if you will. the top. Well, explain why. It's a good point. Explain why. I think guys are sometimes better served just going to school and, and developing the tools. Um, it's already such a risk. And how many high school players actually develop? You're, you're taking a guy, you're going to have to wait an extra year, two, three on a Will Benson. You know, I said whenever Cleveland drafted Will Benson, I said he is a seven-year development guy, um, and you're lucky if it's if it's a seven-year development path for him. And I think it was just over six years for him. Um, I, I think sometimes you just got to slow down with the way the minor leagues are set up. It's not advantageous for high schoolers nowadays. Are they going to spend two years in the complex league, league and then go to Lynchburg? You know what I mean? Um, Really, it's set up to send guys to school. I would even say it's the top three rounds of talent with Prepster. So the top 100 may be worth signing, and then guys outside of that probably need to go to school and develop. And that's not a shot at any of them. It's just the level of talent there. Yeah, the the path that's ahead of them, the development that they need. Um, Man, uh, there's just so many prep arms that – 
they get drafted and then you never hear from them again, essentially, because of injuries, because the path is so far ahead. And that's exactly why Cleveland does what they do in the international market is because they realize, hey, signing a 16 year old to a million dollar contract is probably stupid. Why don't we put that million dollar contract into a position player who's more likely to pay him out? And that's why I said, or at least well, go away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, you, they're evaluating what they're doing and they know what they're doing and why they're doing that, but never draft for need. Of course I say that. And then I say, Cleveland needs to draft some catching depth. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's a different story because you need catchers at every level and they've just done, they've, they've gone heavy in the international class. Um, yeah. I love Jack Payton, but you know you and, and Jeff Ellis have both mentioned Connor Burns. Connor Burns. I'm down with I'm down with Connor Burns, which means I know they're not going to take Connor Burns because we we all like him. So probably not. That's a, a low strikeout, <laughs> low walk guy who didn't hit a lot in college at Long Beach, and he's also awesome. big arm. Yeah, yeah. Blame Jared for that comp. That's Jared's fault. That's Jared's fault. I'm totally on board with with Jack Payton and Lou because. That college just continues to produce great major league catching, and I know he doesn't have a lot of the same traits again. That's why he's not going in the first round. So he doesn't have the traits of some of the stars. But he still has some interesting traits, so I'm still down with that. I don't know if Cole Carrick is a catcher. That's the kid from um, mm -hmm. Clemson? No, where's, where's Cole Carrick from? No, San Diego State. The kid yeah. from Clemson is Cooper Engel. He's one I like. He's got I'm a bunch of average tools all across and can play left field. But um, give me give me Cole Carey because that guy, no matter I, where he plays, I think it's he he has a chance to be an interesting player. Like he could be, he could be left-handed David Fry for all we know. Mm -hmm. He could he, maybe he can even pitch. He's got a good arm, right? Yeah, yeah. He was up to 102 at the combine from the outfield. That's pretty impressive. Um, or or go with your guy, one of your favorite players, Saban Savalos. Make him a catcher. Bring him in. Draft at least two or three catchers. I I would say. Well, I don't know. Three might be a lot. At least two catchers. I would say. Yes, especially with the arms you have in the system. You need solid catching. They need depth. I would dare say take Connor Burns in round three or four, underslot him as a college, a young college junior, underslot him early, get a guy that's a defensive whiz. Uh, I don't know if he won the college gold glove, the Rawlings gold glove or not. Um, he may have. I know he was a finalist for that award. Um, a guy that hasn't been mentioned and often seems to be looked over and – you know, he's a smaller guy, five foot eight. Luke, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say the name right, but I think it's Shigler. Yeah, Shigler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a guy that has high contact skills, walks more than he strikes out, a little bit of juice in the bat. Not, I mean, he's not going to hit for power. You may get eight, ten home runs if he's an everyday catcher. Um, but he also has a good arm. He's a reputable defender and somebody that will probably get – plucked a little bit earlier than some people think because Matt Shaw drew a lot of attention and a lot of people had eyes on him while they were there too. Yeah. Which means also take Nick LaRusso as a senior sign later. I think he's a senior as well, but he's older. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm interested in him. Let's see. Uh, we got a couple more minutes, minutes left here. Pitching wise. I mean, you know, all the pitchers I like Zach Thornton. Um, just, keep, Thornton. just keep throwing just keep throwing names out. Let's just go back and forth and throw some names. Wall. Seth Keener is another one you know I love. I think he can start. He's got that. Yeah. I think it's a plus power slider. He's in low, mid-90s, can touch upper 90s, and he has a, a changeup that will work but needs development, and I think it's average control. So, I'll tell you what. Let's let's make a bet on this, on your, your, your podcast uh, contract. What do we want to bet? If the Guardians do not take Sean Sullivan of Wake Forest – he was second in, in the NCAA in strikeouts to Paul Skeens. Lefty, control, uh, <clears throat> very low arm slot from the left side, kind of like Logan Allen-ish. What do you want to bet? Like I round rather, rather than whether they draft <laughs> him or not, what round is that a guarantee? Him? If he is not, he's well, he's going to be gone by their third pick, I would think. So that might have to be he there. The third, pick the third pick would be – are you? Do you mean the third round or the sixty-second pick overall? Sixty-two. I think. The, I think they have to no no later than that. I don't think because what's their what's their pick after sixty-two? Ninety ninety something. Yeah, ninety-three, yeah. and I think he falls somewhere. He's one of those guys that's probably. If I had to throw him on the board right now, I'd say like seventy-five. Um, 
And that's just me. I'm not, I don't have anything in front of me and I haven't stacked a top 100, but I, I think he's in that group where there's a lot of similar tier type talent. Um, I agree with you. If, well, I'll, I'll back up and I'll say this. Tanner Hall is another guy to look at. Go back and look at his sophomore season, Justin. He was one of the nation strikeout leaders. Um, that's another guy I think Cleveland will be in on in the, that same range. I think a year Hall, ago. <laughs> yeah, I think Hall is round three, round four. I've been on him since last year. Well, I'm like future Cleveland Guardian right here. <laughs> at yeah, one point yeah. in time, I thought he might get into the back end of round one, but he's backed up this year. And I'm okay with that, you know. Um, the the command is still there. Um, I'll give you a, a name further down, but Wyatt Huddenpole from Charlotte, who <laughs> has four pitches, above average command. I think he averages 91, 92 on the fastball. As not a, he's not a power guy, but he's got a big frame, average age. But somebody that is one of the nation's strikeout leaders too, with essentially less stuff, doesn't throw as hard as some of these other guys. You know, I like, like Zach Thornton, um, who you mentioned already. Love that low arm slot. Love the slider from yeah. him. A guy that I think that can add strength and command. Uh, I know this guy that you're not a fan of as much as I am. Hunter Owen. I still like. Oh, no, Vanderbilt arms. No, no, no. Don't scout the uniform, Justin. Here we go. No, but. He was already hurt this year. They already ruined that arm. How many, already ruined him. how many pitchers has Cleveland drafted in the last four or five years that have been in, injured? It doesn't mean it's a good thing. Look at look at how that's panned out for them. <laughs> yeah, it, it hadn't quite worked out well for them, that's it. Uh, Zach Jacobs has been pretty impressive, though, and he was an injured arm. Um, sure I don't know how Jack Jaciak is doing. He was an injured arm. You know arm. what? If they're going to go that route, give me Tanner Witt. If they're going to go that route, I, I mean, he has not looked yes. good in the Cape. I don't know where he's at. He may have to go back to school, but. Yes, he he's uh, looked ugly in his return so far. I think he's been up to 93, 94, but the command hasn't been there. Um, what about the kid from Florida State then? What's that? What about the kid from Florida State then? Or, or even Teddy McGraw. We're talking about Wake Forest arms. McGraw. You know what? Or, That's his second Tommy John surgery. I would consider him. McGraw? Yeah, McGraw has had one Tommy John surgery in the past. This is his second one already. Um, nice. That's the bullpen arm. If he Jack DeGroe, do you remember him? He was a yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he's that. You know what I'm saying? Um, DeGroe never never materialized as a prospect because of injury. All right, I'm out on that. Then who's the kid from Florida State? Is it uh, not Baumeister? Uh, um... Uh, Carson Montgomery. Oh yeah, I like. I'm I'm a Carson Montgomery fan. I don't. I think yeah, he's 40, 40 uh, command, but I I do think with his athleticism and his youth, because he's not even twenty one yet, I would take the risk so long as we're talking fifth, sixth round on him, and potentially going over slot on him to get him. I would pay five hundred k for that. You know, they paid six hundred k for Humphreys. Why not take a risk on a guy like that? That you know, the stuff is there. The control it has not been, though. Um, seeing what they did with Magnus Ellerts, he's a guy that ran a pretty high K rate. Somebody that I liked, you know, I liked Ellerts last year. Um, I will say, they, they have kind of bumped up against their boundaries K-wise. Because remember, you, you saw it used to be, what was it, at least 10 strikeouts per nine, two walks per nine. They have uh, kind three, of bumped. Three walks, sub three walk. And, Sub three, like yeah, nine it's, it's about nine per nine or ten depending, per nine, so it's right in that range. Depending on the conference, too. If, if you're if you're in a lesser conference, it has to be more. But if you're in like the SEC, it's like ten, nine point nine. They have pushed the bounds on that a little bit because you have Doug Nikhazy, yep, you have uh, Ryan Webb. Those guys had some, you know, they weren't great. They weren't like walking a ton of guys in college, but they didn't have the normal control Cleveland has, which of course. They've both struggled with control, especially Doug Nikhazy. Both left-handers, too. Stephen Hajar. Um, I know Hajar yeah, walked a lot. Uh, oh, Hajar you know, was we didn't a talk about draft pick, but he was one that I said was a Cleveland type, and, yeah. and um, thinking that command could come with him. Um, but they've at least – They've at least on the lefties. 
That's true. But what well, you just said, Magnus Ellerk, though, guys like that, they have kind of Adam pushed Solik. up against yeah. Adam Solik. Uh This guy doesn't fit that, but we're talking about lefties. You just said Connor Halloran's a guy we didn't mention from Michigan. Yep. Um, that's a not a deep cut. Um, I'm trying to think of their college bats. Mitch, Mitch Jeb, if you're talking about Sean Sullivan being a guaranteed pick. How about, like Mitch uh, Jeb. how about Cade Denton? You know, he he's a reliever that I like a lot. Yeah. They could go that route. I, I'm going to my, – my deep, deepest cut for this draft is we need to get out of here uh, is, is Coleman Pickard from Bryant, same college as James Karinchak. That's my deep, deep cut in this draft. Um, Matt Duffy from Canisius fits their types. Um, I'm trying to think how, how how much deeper can I go here. I have a cheat sheet in front of me. You do not. I'm, I'm going off guys I know. You're just going off memory because you're better at this than I am. But um, – Trying to think here. There's other other. Uh, not a whole lot of Mola, a center fielder from Washington State. That's a player I think we'll keep an eye on for them. Um, I've heard a few other names. Some of them I won't mention here. Um, we talked about Dylan Campbell briefly. I know that, and then yeah, that's that's one of Jared's favorite. Coleman Coleman Pickard. You mentioned he was one that I had in that twenty round map, mock draft. Um, Emmett Olson from Nebraska is a lefty that I like. Low three quarters okay. and demographically. He fits them by numbers, what they've done in the past in the draft. Um, so he, he's probably an 8-10 to 10 round type of talent. Um, low low 90s, upper 80s, lefty, I think, with four pitches in, oh, average, above average sort of command. Before we get out of here, what, what round do the Guardians take Riku Nishida in from Oregon? I forgot about Riku Nishida. They don't. What? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's saying they need to take, and that was you're wrong. You're wrong, Willie. That was me throwing stuff at you. They're gonna take Riku Nishida. Zero power. He's got 20 grade power, 70 grade contact rate. I don't want to say 70 grade hit tool, but 70 grade contact. Uh was hitting with the wood bat in Oregon and um great speed. He's a team leader in Oregon. Uh plays second base, outfield. He's a day, gotta be a day two, day the day three guy. Fringe day two, day three guy. Oh man! I don't know. If I had a thing out in front of you, I'd drop some more names on you, but I I don't. My brain's cooked. It's been a long few uh, days. Let me just add, let me just throw some names on you. Could tell me yes or no. Um, Owen Wild, who sounds a lot like Eli Morgan yes. to me. From yes, okay. Yes. Um, that's a, another Gonzaga guy too. So easy comparison to make. Yes. Um, gosh, we're getting we're getting super deep here. I, I'm really. Uh, Running out of names to, to go down. I don't know. There's not a whole. I, I said Mitch Jeb, but that's Isaac a date. Gannon, that's a um, from Oregon intrigues me. He's somebody I had in that 20 round mock draft. He's a right hand okay. pitcher, six four, I think 200 something, three pitches. Would have probably been a top five round guy had he not had Tommy John surgery. So he's a day three guy I would look for, pop him, um, rehabilitate him, and see what you can get out of him. You know, why not take How the about- risk? No, go ahead. I was going to say, how about your guy? And I think Jared's guy too. Tommy Hawk is another one later on day two. Yeah. I didn't realize he was eligible. I think he's a uh, fourth, fifth round pick. Um, Five foot eight center fielder with top of the scale speed, advanced on base skills. You know, as I said, he's got the speed, excellent defender in center field too. Um, He might be a, well, I don't want to go there, but he might be, he might be a nice pick for them. Maybe a faster version of what Stephen Kwan produces. You don't get a lot of power from him, but a guy that will walk a lot and can play center field. So Kwan's not really your center field type, but similar yeah. type of similar type of hitter. I'm going to end this on the last first round pick from an Ohio high school was Derek Dietrich in 2010. So you got, uh, yeah, Cole Emerson, who's a popular pick for the Guardians. I still like Kevin McGonagall. Those two are both going to Auburn. Word is that Emerson's already on campus, and who knows what's going to happen there. That could change the the calculus of uh, things. All right, well, we spent about as long as we could on the draft. I hope everybody enjoyed that. I think we'll get Willie back for one more. I know I did take myself out of one because I did insult Brandon Sprout a little bit. I didn't insult, but I I have him very devalued compared to where you do. So I, I kind of ruined that one for everybody. I, I apologize. But uh, what do you think, Willie? Post-draft? Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Well, this time next week, the draft will finally be over. I'm I'm looking forward to the draft. You don't want to know why? Because the Guardians. This is why we like prospects, right? Because they haven't disappointed us yet. They're prospects. They're they're exactly. They're Especially Cleveland's because they make you wait another six months after they're drafted or almost a year before you see them again. (laughs) They're very good at building the hype. I will say that. They're good at building the hype, making you wait there. The anticipation. Anticipation is, uh, you know, I was going to say distance makes the heart grow fonder, but I don't know what anticipation is, but there'll be a lot of anticipation. Uh We'll see what happens. You should probably tune into Lockdown Guardians on draft night. I'll be over there with Jeff Ellis uh, holding down the fort. We'll be doing some live streaming. Maybe Willie, if he's free, we can entice him to a, uh, into an appearance, uh, do a little crossover there. Um, and then we'll be back with everybody on, I don't know, next probably next Thursday, I would guess, uh, or Friday. or Yeah, no, I think Thursday makes sense. We'll see. After the draft is over, we'll get back together and, yeah, and talk about all the great players they took. What's that? I said we need some time for it to soak. Um, yeah, w- Willie's going to need a vacation from the draft. The draft is his reprieve, but then he's going to need a vacation from the draft too, because, uh, like we said, there's no uh, there's no vacations. There's only work that you're putting off till next week. Uh, thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you can listen. I, I never do these things on here. I'm so bad at this. You think I wouldn't host the podcast daily anywhere else? Uh, Leave us a review on, I think, Spotify and Apple allows you to leave a review. Um, if you're a longtime listener, just tell a friend about it. Hit subscribe on YouTube. Share it. Uh, post it on threads, too. I know threads is a thing now, too. Why, you know what? The Guardians should have invented threads, right? Because they're so good at threading the needle. Oh, should the, I should the Guardians. <laughs> they should have invented threads. Um, yeah, share wherever you can if you like the draft, if you like the prospects. Uh, share the podcast everywhere you can. Subscribe to the Next Year in Cleveland newsletter. I'll have the link there, all of the links. And uh, everybody everybody, bug Willie on Twitter to come back for more podcasts because it seems that works. I don't know. People love people love Willie. So continue to beg him uh, for me. I think the listens have dropped since I've joined. <laughs> they've, they've gone up. No, the, the listens have dropped since you left, actually. So I need to get everything back on the upswing. All right. Well, I'll let you out of here, Willie. Thanks for doing this with me. And uh, go and thanks to everybody who listens and and all the positive feedback. It is appreciated. Yes, we do appreciate the positive feedback, especially in the the toxic culture that is social media these days. So thanks for listening, and uh, let's enjoy the draft and hope the Guardians uh, get a future thirty home run hitter at twenty three. Who knows? 